Hello and welcome to Which Way for the Church number 10. This week we have Bishop Mark Bryant, the excellent missionary and pioneer of faith, who's going to share about his thoughts regarding Jesus and the church. Be encouraged. So, um, Bishop Mark, who are you and what do you do? That's a very good question. Well, I am Mark and I am a follower of Jesus and I am married and I am a dad. And um, for until three years ago when I retired, I was the Bishop of Jarrow, which is the sort of suffragan bishop in the Diocese of Durham, and I did that for 11 years. And um, if you look at my uh, Twitter handle, any of you who do Twitter, um, you'll see that I think it says that I'm a lover of trashy television um, and have an interest um, in the areas of homelessness and refugees. So will that do for a start? We'll do for a start. Yes, it's very good. Excellent. Um, and um, we always like to hear from our speakers a little bit of, of their faith journey. And um, um, some people had a dramatic experience of coming to Christ. Some have always been a Christian. And what's your experience of, of following um, Jesus? Well, I, I mean, I grew up in a, in a Christian home. Um, my dad was a vicar, and we might come back to that later. So I guess that, it, that was sort of always around in the water. Uh, I think I would say that um, as a student aged about 21, 22, I came to a very conscious decision that I was doing this because that was what I wanted to do and not simply sort of something that I'd grown up with. And I think, and, and this, is, this becomes very strange, I think, as we get older. You know, there have been just lots of sort of nudges along the journey. So I think that if I look back perhaps 17, 20 years ago, um, there was a sort of change of gear. I'm not quite sure what caused that change of gear. Some of it was perhaps to do with getting older. Because uh, I think one of the great gifts of becoming older, and there are one or two of us here who've got our bus passes, one of the, I think, joys of getting older, one of the gifts of being older, is almost a sense of just being able to relax with God, just to relax with Jesus, who is our friend. Um, and, but I mean, you know, what's going on now in my journey with Jesus is probably very different from 15 years ago, probably very different from five years ago. Uh, it's just a sort of continuous journey of exploration um, and continuous journey of new excitement and new insights and new joy and um, it's never ever dull even if occasionally someday some stages just feel a bit bit harder work than others um, but yeah we just just keep going on so um, now if you don't mind me say so, now you're you're 72, is that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah, okay. Um, and um, just, can you just tell us a little bit of what it was like to be a Christian maybe in your teens? Um, well, I, th I think perhaps if I, if I can just talk, can I talk more about my early 20s? Because I think that's easier. I mean, one of the great things about um, teenagers and people in, in their early 20s is that we, we are very definite. You know, we, we, we know what is right and what is wrong. Um, and, and I think I was quite, you know, uh, probably a bit like that. I don't think that was too bad. I mean, w what happened to me um, in my early 20s was I became involved a bit uh, with what in those days we called charismatic renewal, uh, which I think was, was really about saying um, God is real and God does kind of get up in the morning and do stuff. I think a bit like that. I think one of the things I never quite understood with some of my fellow Christians in my 20s was that they didn't seem as interested as I think I wanted them to be and as I wanted to be 
um, in changing the world around us. You know, there was quite a lot about, you know, let's talk to people about Jesus, let's help other people to become Christians. But it always seemed to me uh, then somehow that if God was a God who got out of bed in the morning and did stuff, he ought to be doing stuff in the wider society and in the wider community. Um, and, I, and I suppose that's become one of my passions in the last sort of 20, 30 years, hence my, my interest in, in asylum, my interest in, in homelessness. Um, it just seems to me more and more that, um, that we have to believe that God is a God who is passionately interested in what is going on in society, in what is going on in our communities, um, and is longing to change it and to use us to change it. And he'll be there with um, with more than more than a helping hand. So I've, I've strayed rather yeah, rather away from my twenties rather quickly. I know you quite well, Bishop. Mike, well, relatively well. Um, and um, I've heard that you grew up in a sort of a, a vicar's home. Yeah, your father right. was yeah. a vicar. And yeah. could you just tell us in your early years? Did you just stay in one place, or did you move around? Um, well, we when I was seven. Um, I, I'm still work. I'm still coming to terms with the fact that I think my father was far more of a pioneer minister than I realised. You know, I just grew up with it, so I kind of thought that's what all vicars did. But I'm not quite sure that's true. So at the age um, when I was seven, my, my dad was a was a vicar in Wiltshire, and we moved to to Surrey. And for my parents in those days, that was. That was colossal. That was an enormous move. And my father was, was initially looking after three churches, which meant that we had to buy a car. And so my parents used all their savings um, to buy a, what was a very ancient, uh, even in those days, ancient car. And so we moved to, to Surrey. And basically, my father took over a church which was as good as dead. Um, and the church was there to serve a post-war housing estate, uh, which had, it had never really done anything with at all. And so we moved there. Um, and my father, in effect, built a church from scratch. Um, uh, and then moved the church, well, built a brand new church because the old church wasn't anywhere near most, where most people lived. And those of you who are very old may just remember that in the 40s and 50s, and even into the 60s, the only services that we ever had in church were services from the Book of Common Prayer. That is all there was. Um, there weren't even sort of what we came to call family services or children's services. There was just the Book of Common Prayer and um, Sunday School. And my father in the late 1950s realised that this simply didn't work. And he, I mean, my father was brought up in a very traditional way, but he, he just decided that didn't work. So he went to his bishop and said, I need a different service from what we've got. Can I do it? Um, and in those days, you know, you had to get the bishop's permission, and the bishop had to get it checked out by canon this and canon that and everything else. But it, I mean, this, just literally nobody else was doing this in the late 1950s. Um, and so my father grew, as it were, a completely new congregation. Um, so he moved the church, uh, and, and then sort of did all sorts of things, which again were qu now don't feel very interesting or exciting at all. But in the late 1950s were, were extremely radical, um, and, and doing things like, um, you know, afternoon services for mums with their prams and toddlers and things like that. Because um, any of you who can remember about that, that stuff really didn't happen very much. Um, and so, so that's what, yeah, that's what he got up to. Um, and as I, I only now really realise, um, yeah, it was kind of, kind of a bit pioneering. So, you know, I tell everyone, my dad was doing church planting and fresh expressions of church in the 1950s, which he was. Yeah. It's, it's really good to hear your father as a great role model. And I think this is it, isn't it? As, as Christians, we do need those role models. Um, 
Someone once said, we need to hook our wagon to a star. And I think, you know, obviously Jesus is the ultimate star, but um, obviously your father played a, a big role in your life. Um, and was it your father that really encouraged you to look at becoming um, a priest, a minister in the church? Um, no, that was my decision. And when I went to my selection conference, yes. everybody asked me about five dozen times. They wanted to be absolutely sure I wasn't just doing this to keep my dad happy. Um, I think what it was, and I remember saying this at my selection conference, you know, I saw my dad doing this, which is quite a good job, um, and that he was deeply fulfilled in it. And I kind of thought, yeah, I'd quite like to do that. And I think I'd find that quite fulfilling. And I think it'd be quite fun to tell people about Jesus because I think Jesus is, is quite important and makes a big difference. And that's happened to me. And I'd quite like to share that with other people. Um, but I think the idea of being a sort of, you know, whatever it was, 1970s vicar uh, in a parish church with a concern for the whole community. I mean, that was the sort of vision that drove me. Um, yeah. I, I don't want to make you feel really old, Bishop, but uh, no. um, I was noticed that um, you've been um, ordained for 45 years on Wikipedia. Um, I'm 45, so I am as old as your ministry. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but um, in those 45 years, and actually the whole of your life, um, could you just tell us a little bit of who Jesus is to you? I probably answer that differently now from the way I would have in my 20s. Gosh, what is he? I mean, in a way it sounds a bit sort of naff, really, just to say more and more he is everything. What else is there? I mean, I don't, know, I don't know enough about the tradition of this church and quite what you're used to, but I mean, th there was a time in my life, and it's still true to some extent, when um, kneeling in front of the Blessed Sacrament and being with Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament just felt to me like the most important thing. And I, I did a rather odd thing. I went, went away for 30 days silence and did a bit of praying about Jesus and things. And one of the things they got us doing was getting up in the middle of the night. And I remember, yeah, one night in particular, in this chapel all on my own, at three o'clock in the morning, praying, um, being, just being with Jesus, praying in front of the Blessed Sacrament. And my reflection on that was, it kind of doesn't get any better than this, this side of eternity. So Jesus is everything. Jesus is also for me, and this has, has been really, really, really so important in the last 15 years. Jesus is, Jesus has this passionate love, particularly for those who are marginalized, those who don't fit in, those whose lives are, are a muddle. Um, I just know that Jesus just loves them to bits. He longs to transform them. Um, so so that's, that's a really, really important thing about Jesus for, for, for me at the moment. Um, he is my friend and I long more and more day by day um, to treat him as my friend, you know, the, as that sort of best friend to whom you can actually say anything because it's, it's kind of okay and you know they're all right around that. Um, and that, yeah, that takes a bit of getting used to it. I'm, I'm still on a sort of journey of getting used to that. Um, but I guess that's, um, yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't that just be lovely? That would be a wonderful place to get to. And one day, either this side of eternity or the other side of eternity, please God, that's where, that's where we should get to. Mm, yeah, that's good. That's lovely. Uh, really lovely to hear this, uh, Bishop. And um, I think one of the questions that has stayed with me since, um, well, the induction really, was um, you spoke about, you know, if Jesus was the vicar, or something like that, anyway, this is the way I've interpreted it. If Jesus was the vicar at Holy Cross, what would he be doing? And uh, that's a question I've asked every person, um, and I blame you for that. Um, but um, I know I'm going to ask you. Um, if Jesus was the vicar here, right now, what would he do? 
Well, I mean, he would obviously be searching out the people in the community who are forgotten, those who feel lonely, those who feel marginalised, um, those who are struggling. I mean, that's, that's, that's where he'd start. And he would just go and he'd kind of just be really, really lovely with them. And he'd be lovely with them in a way that they would feel better and they would feel that their lives were different and they would feel that their lives were transformed. Um, and if Jesus was, was the vicar here, a whole lot of people would get to uh, discover how much God loved them, I guess. So I suppose that would be the, the great thing. But um, yeah, he'd be, he'd be really searching out. Um, and, and I suppose if he was vicar here, people would be drawn to him, drawn to him by his love, by his compassion, by his concern for them. One of my favourite passages in the Bible, um, uh, is it Matthew? I can't remember. Very early on, uh, Jesus begins his ministry and he, uh, he heals um, Simon's mother-in-law who's poorly. Uh, and I think he must be in Capernaum. And that evening, people come from all the villages around and they bring their sick and their worried and, and everything and, and I just imagine that you know that that little town those little streets just chocker and and I have this picture that as each person gets to the front of the queue and comes to Jesus and says whatever it is they they want to say to Jesus whatever's poorly about them that he gives them his total and utter concern. They feel as if they are the only person in the world that matters. And that's transformative. And so I guess if Jesus was here as vicar, that's the sort of stuff that would be going on. So um, I guess if Jesus was here doing that, um, he probably wouldn't be the uh, best deanery representative, would he? Um, or, um best at turning up to PCCs and things like this or, or would he be quite good at the administration side of the church? Well I think I think Jesus was here a lot depending on how much administration you needed really. Um, I mean the problem is we've got these buildings and they fall down and you've got to find money to insure them and all that. Um, I suppose that might be a bit, I don't know, well, that might not be at the top of Jesus' agenda. On the other hand, he, he, Jesus would also understand that this building really matters to some people because they've been here, you know, it's been so key to them for so long. And I don't know, I have no idea how he'd sort it, but he would. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Um, um, but, but it would be the stuff in the community yes. that would really yeah. sort of, um, yeah. yeah, that's kind of where his energy would be. I think this is something which lots of the speakers have been saying. Um, hopefully the summer will put, put all of these together, all of these uh, um, talks to some kind of report. But uh, I think the key is, isn't it, it's about loving this space because this is God's house, praying, being together, but going out as well, isn't it? And, um, um, which kind of really leads us on to um, another question which we've been thinking about. The whole of this um, series is called Which Way for the Church? And... Uh, really sort of just moving over to that for a little bit um what is church to you well i mean yes gosh i've got sort of 150 different answers to that question what i think i long for church to be is the place where the friends of jesus gather and they gather to meet with jesus in the Holy Communion and to meet with him together in the scriptures. And that fuels and empowers them to do the stuff in the community. I mean, I was, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was really lucky uh, back in whenever it was, um, what are we, 2015, um, I, I got, got given some time out, some sort of sabbatical. And I don't know why, but I ended up spending two months in London volunteering six days a week at a homeless drop-in. And the homeless drop-in was literally four minutes walk. I don't know how well you know London, Westminster. 
from um, Westminster Roman Catholic Cathedral. And I would go to Mass in Westminster Cathedral, simply because of where it was, almost every day before I went and did whatever I was doing in the drop, you know, cutting up vegetables or dishing out breakfasts or answering the phone or whatever. And that felt to me a really, really lovely rhythm. You know, and so I would go, go, go to Mass in the cathedral, you know, 7 o'clock in the morning. 30 people at Mass at 7 o'clock in the morning in Westminster Cathedral. People of all ages, backgrounds. It's the most extraordinary, most extraordinary gathering. You know, and I would go and I might just talk to Jesus about what was going to happen that day, or more likely than not, talk to him about some of the people I'd met yesterday. And it seemed to me that that's what church and worship was about. You know, this is the place we come together, we meet Jesus in, in the Eucharist, we, we listen to him, listen to what he's saying to us in, in, in the scriptures, and then we go and do the Jesus stuff in the community. So, so I think that's one of the things that church is about for me. I think church also has the possibility to be um, a really important community for people. Um, we know that one of the greatest pandemics at the moment um, is loneliness. And, um, you know, there, there is a real opportunity for church to be community um, for people who need community and otherwise are lonely. We know that that helps everyone's mental health and physical health and everything else. But also I think that church needs to become, uh, Bishop I once worked with was always talking about the church as the community of the unlike. There's a real problem at the moment uh, in the world, and it, it's actually getting worse for young people with social media, uh, which is that we, we tend to mix with people who are like us and who tend to agree with us. And, and, and I mean, the world is a very sort of muddly divided place. Uh, and, and I think the dream must be for church to be a community of people who would not otherwise bump up against each other. And we then discover that that's um, hugely enriching and we learn all sorts of things. Um, so, so church is the place to fuel us for going out. Church as the place for community um, and particularly for community of the unlike. And church will sometimes be for some people, the place where they can begin to encounter God. I mean, one of the things I could talk about all night, you know, is I'm, I'm passionately committed to the church doing baptisms, weddings, and funerals really, really well. Um, because, because baptisms, weddings, and funerals are about significant moments in people's lives. Um, and it is often at, people, at significant moments that we, we become aware of God. And people often don't quite know what to do with that. And they, they think it's just them. They think they're being a bit funny because they've got these feelings. Um, and we need to help people. I mean, it won't only happen in the church building, but I think with baptisms, weddings and funerals, it does. Um, we need to help people discover God. People are very interested in God. They're far more interested than we think they are. And people are very interested in the things in life that matter. I think one of the reasons that everybody is so phenomenally and wondrously generous about the whole Ukraine thing is because when we, we see on our screens people being bombed, people being displaced, people having to go horrendous journeys with children, with pets, with everything. I think that does make us think a bit about the stuff in life that really matters. And, and people are really interested in this. I mean, I haven't got time, but I could talk to you all night. The other thing, I have many things I could talk to you about all night. Um, I used to live near the Angel of the North. That was one mile away from the The Angel of the North is the new sacred space for the people of the Northeast. The, sacred, the Angel of the North is the place people come um, to be thankful when they've come out of hospital, 
Uh, they come to the angel of the north to tell their partner they're going to have their partner's baby. They come to the angel of the north to ask someone to marry them. Um, we had um, a couple of people from Gateshead were killed in the um, Manchester uh, arena bombing. Um, and, and we just had, and, and where they wanted to have a sort of event. And within about six hours, there were hundreds and hundreds of people all, all, all at the Angel of the North. Um, so people are very interested in the stuff in life that really matters. And the sadness for the church is that they don't think we're the place to come. You know, they might go off to a Buddhist monastery, uh, they'll go off to a Chinese medicine thing, they'll go off to a meditation group. They don't think that we do this stuff, whereas, of course, actually, this is, this is our core business. So I have no idea how we got there. Oh, you asked me about the church, I think, didn't you? I have no idea how I, how I ended up. It's lovely. It's, uh, I, I tell you what, being with Bishop Mark is brilliant, honestly. You always need a dictaphone with him. Great stories here. It's uh, uh, just inspirational. I love that idea of people from different walks of life just coming together and worship and, and going out. Um, and that's, that's a beautiful image of, of church. Um, however, we are in a diocese that is losing 20 clergy, as stipendary clergy. And I know yourself, Bishop, you are very busy in retirement. Um, I want to know whether, especially as we're in um, a interim ministry, never before in, in our life here has this been an interim ministry, um, whether you could share a little bit about your view of the wider church, what is the future of the church, especially in Newcastle Diocese? I'm not quite sure how, how, how easily I can answer that. I think the churches will, I think that churches will flourish, whatever that means, when they are deeply committed to their local communities. And we have to understand that, and, and this is really complicated, because the fact that we are deeply committed to our local communities doesn't mean that more people are gonna rock up on Sunday morning. And I'm afraid it doesn't mean that more money's gonna end up in the collection. So, so we, we do have a, you know, there is a sort of sheer financial problem then. I don't quite know what the answer is. We may have to get rid of some of our buildings, sadly. But I think the church will prosper when it is deeply committed to its own community and particularly to those who are most excluded and vulnerable. I think the church will also flourish when it is, I don't quite know how to put this into words, when the individual members are deeply committed to Jesus. And in, yeah, in, in, and it'll be the, the way that commitment to Jesus appears will, will be different for everybody. It'll do with their age and their background. Um, you, you may have heard of the, of the Taizé community in France. And, uh, Father Roger Schutz, the, the man who founded that extraordinary place to which literally thousands of young people come every summer. Roger Schutz said somewhere, when the churches start praying, people will come running. You know, when people sense that the church is a place that is about the stuff in life that matters, when it's really concerned about God and not concerned about itself and its fundraising and its own life, I think that's when churches will flourish. Exactly what church, you know, I mean, um, Dan's made the point we're going to have far, far fewer um, full-time stipendary vicars on the ground. In some communities, I, I think we have to say, who is God going to raise up to preside at the Eucharist and to help us to understand the scriptures? So, you know, we, we will have more priests, I think, who will not be full, you know, the retired or they'll be doing other jobs but they will be the people who it is somehow right it seems the local community is right that they should preside at the Eucharist and lead the community as they open and, and under, try to understand the word of God 
Um, but, but, but for me, yeah, it, 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 this is about um, engaging with the community and having a good and proper confidence in the story of Jesus and the life of faith. I mean, you see, I, I think I, I don't think I don't think churches are the way forward. I think the way forward is is community groups, possibly community groups run by church people. In some cases, it would be about church people supporting existing groups. And the sort of thing that happens, I mean, you, you'll know this, I'm sure as you know, but you're running a London topless group, and that's okay. And then somebody says, you know, oh, I heard the other day that so-and-so's you know, little one, has been rushed into hospital and they're really poorly. Um, and they might even say to you, if you're part of the church, you know, could you say a prayer for him in church? To which the answer, of course, is, of course we will. But, hey, could we, why don't we sort of say a prayer now? And, and, and so in the mother and toddler group, we get this idea that occasionally it's all right to say a prayer. You know, people don't go to church or anything about that but actually they understand this idea of, 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 of saying a prayer um, and then you know yeah gosh it's interesting isn't it because actually that's just like a story in the Bible you know and actually look I've got a kid's Bible here you know, this is an interesting story isn't it and so we introduce people to the life of faith and the Christian story uh, a friend of mine well, a couple I know who are just, in my view, beyond heroic, beyond phenomenal, um, who, who've ended up doing the best piece of work in Coventry um, with, um, under, uh, with, with vulnerable mothers and vulnerable children. And, and they've got all these people who, who don't, I don't think they very, very often, if ever, rock up to church. But they have a WhatsApp prayer group. And so when something goes wrong, you know, they put it on the WhatsApp group, you know, can you pray for so-and-so, or I'm having a really bad today. And everyone else says, yeah, I'm praying for you. Now, these people are not rocking up to you. I mean, I have no idea what, what's going on. But God knows, and that's, that's all that matters. Um, you know, people are open to this, but I think that's where we start. Um, you know, we, we're not going to, people aren't, well, you know this, people aren't going to rock up at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. Uh, we, we find other ways in which we, we start to talk about stuff in life that matters. I'm wittering. No, 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 that's absolutely fine. That's, um, I do wittering. I, I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I think you're absolutely right. It just reminded me of a time when um, I, uh, I, was going, I was very ill um, and I had chemo and so forth. And that. I remember I had about 50 or 60 people on a prayer list who were sending out old-fashioned texts in those days. And um, um, maybe 30 or 40 were churchgoers, but there's probably 20 or so who weren't. And three or four of them would tell me, oh, I've just gone into a church, I'm not sure if this is right, but I've lit a candle and I've said a prayer for you. I thought, that's amazing, you know. And actually, I thought, actually, what I'm doing when I'm sending out these prayers, I'm actually encouraging them to, to find out more about Jesus. And, um, but not in the orthodox way, maybe. And I just found that actually very interesting. Um, and um, I love what you said about church. It's beautiful. The church is so amazing. And, um, and sometimes we get so blinkered, don't we, by the things like money and, and, and things and numbers and all that sort of stuff. And uh, when actually we're here, we want to know about Jesus. We want to know about people and, and how, how we can make a difference in the world. And um, I think that's really exciting. Um, Bishop Mark, just um, as we're veering on towards some questions from the congregation, um, could you just give us maybe some of your thoughts about um, what you think the future of this church is? Where do you think in, in 5, 10, 15 years? So bear in mind, we are in an interim and we've never been here before. Well, I have no idea. I mean, I mean you know, I'm going to repeat myself, you know. The future of this church needs to be engaging with its, its community. Um, I, can't, I did look it up your community for I, the licensing, but I can't remember what I discovered. Um, that, that has to be the future. That has to be the future. Yeah. I, I mean, and this is going back to what I think I said at Dan's licensing, 
which may be slightly different from what he remembers. So he may be right or I may be right. This part of Newcastle needs to be a, a better place to live because Holy Cross is here. That's, that's the bottom line. God, the, the reason God has put you here is to enable this bit of Newcastle to be more like the sort of place that God longs for it to be. That's why you're here. Well, um, we'll hand over to uh, any questions. Uh, Ron, you're the, you're the runner. Uh, okay. And um, I've got a few questions to end with, but uh, I wonder if, um, Craig, do you have a question tonight? Sorry, I'm finding it difficult. I'll, I'll come close to you. That's right. I'll come back If you were to start your ministry now, what would your final thought be to help preserve the church of England? What would my radical thought be now if I was starting to preserve the church of England? Well, I have no alternatives to preserving the church of England. Um, well, the, 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 no, that's not quite true. There's one bit of the Church of England I am very committed to, which is the notion of a Christian presence of some sort in every community. And I think that's, you know, so I'm, you know, um, I don't know what my, would my, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm just a really, really boring gramophone record, really. It is about... It is about being in the community. It is particularly about being in those communities that are most neglected. Um, you know, and, I, and I've seen the difference that can make. You know, I mean, I spend a lot of time um, around the east, the former, the old East Durham coalfield, places like Easington, Billy Elliot Plain, you know. Um, and just seeing there what faithful ministry looks like. It, it doesn't doesn't produce a lot of people rocking up on Sunday, I'm afraid. Uh, but it is it's a Christian presence in that community, and that makes a difference for the people there. Uh, in some cases, that's because, you know, people feel less lonely, they feel find a community that they can be part of, whereas they perhaps don't feel that they're really part of anything or belong to anything. Um, they can... What a wonderful, um, wonderful young curate who, actually in Easington, um, established a gospel choir of all sorts of people. I mean, you know, loads of people never came to church. Um, and that just produced an immense amount of joy. Um, it enabled people who had no self-belief to have a bit of self-belief. People who didn't really think they could do anything at all suddenly found themselves standing up in church as a gospel choir and just having a whale of a time. Um, yeah, it, it, it's how we can be transformative in our, in our communities, um, I think. Okay. Anyone else? We've got one up here. There's one up here. Yes, let's be, you know, if, if there are, I don't know, if, there, if there's a group in, in, the, in the community that's going to be supporting Ukrainian refugees, if there's a group 
uh, in the community that is stopping old people, older people feeling lonely. Um, I think Christian people should go and be part of that. Um, and I'm not sure that it's actually, I don't think we're going there to share our faith. One of the really interesting things is, that is now, that if you go to church and you're a bit serious about that, and you do a bit of this praying thing, people are really interested. And actually, it's often they will come with the questions. And it, it starts off with the, you know, will you, um, you know, when you go to church, I'll tell you, you know, can you pray for my uncle who's just heard he's got cancer? Um, and then what often happens is, is people say, you know, you go to church, can I just ask you about something? So, so I think in some cases it's about let's be out there with whatever's going on, you know, let's, let's bless it, you know, blessed be God if there are groups helping people to feel less lonely and what have you. Um, I think ideally I want to find, I want the church to be looking to say where are the gaps, you know, who's falling, you know, between the, what do you call it, falling between the cracks. I remember once, um, oh, yeah, dark things happened to you. Um, I just happened, long companies, I just happened to be in Paris one Saturday and just happened the way you do uh, to meet the head nun of um, an order called the Daughters of Charity. She was the new head nun of this. Uh, and this is really something she said to a group of us. Um, my sisters are throughout the world and they are working with the poorest of the poor on the margins of the, the world. And I am telling them to go out and push the margins even further out and find even more people who are falling through the cracks. Yeah, and that's, that's, that's really important. Um, Incidentally, sorry, it's just occurred to me because I've been thinking about this story, some people about it, and I've no idea how your hall works. But I think what we're going to have next winter um, is that churches will need to provide warm spaces um, so that, you know, people, people at home all day can come out and um, find somewhere that's warm. Um, it may be that children will need somewhere warm to do their homework. And I, I was putting, I put something up about this on social media, you know, and one or two grumpy vicars came back and sort of said, well, you know, we can hardly afford to heat our church on Sunday. Um, to which my response, I think, was, if you can only afford one day's heating, when are you going, when and where are you going to spend your one day heating? So is it actually in the church to keep everyone warm on Sunday? Um, or actually, let, let's do a couple of nights to enable kids to do their homework in the warm, or, you know, to enable people to come out and get a hot meal, and, you know, I, I don't know. Um, but, it, it, you know, it's things like that. But I, I, think, I think there could be a big thing next winter of churches somehow providing warm spaces. We may just call it that, a warm space. I think you're right. Um, in clergy circles, there's this talk about, um, you know, you need to be there for seven years or something to make a difference. And I think um, that may be true or not, but I think for lots of people in church, being living in the area for, for longer than that, uh, you have lots, of, lots more influence in some way, I guess. Um, and so, and I've said this many times before, the door is so open to do things in church if you want to, um, don't wait for me. I'm, I'm here and saying, come on, we can do this. And I'm here to support you. So if there are things like warm spaces, let's go for it. Um, just because of time and so forth, we're gonna move on to Yvonne. and was knocked down. And Paul had been in a coma 
for many, many months, and there was no sign of him ever coming out. So on the day I was coming back from the pilgrimage, I thought I'll just pop a little prayer card in for Paul, you know, who was in a coma. No details, just a prayer for Paul. So when he came back, I pushed a card through his mum and dad's door saying a prayer was said for Paul, it was him. Yeah. And that's three o'clock on the Sunday. On the following Thursday, I didn't see the girls or anything like that. And on the following Thursday, um, Joan came up to our house and said, um, I said, oh, how's Paul doing? She said, oh, Yvonne, I've just come to say to you, at three o'clock on Sunday, Paul came out of the coma. Wow. Oh. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, I mean, and... Uh, I, could I just say, he's now a manager in the electrical department in um, John Lewis. All right. Does he give discounts? Does he? I don't know. <laughs> and I think, and, well, I mean, yeah, what a, what, what a yes. story. And actually, I, it's funny because I actually heard a story this afternoon about somebody, a um, young woman who'd had a fall off a horse, I think. Um, and, and as a result of doing an alpha course, or during an alpha course, um, actually walked upstairs for the first time. So we haven't got time to get into this, you know. There is all the problem about the prayers that don't get answered, but we need to trust and expect that God will do just extraordinary things. And I mean, yeah, we haven't got time, but I, I think as uh, William Temple, you, you know the, the, uh, the saying that says, you know, when I when I don't pray, nothing happens, but when I do pray, coincidences happen. Yeah. And I think we need to yeah be on the front foot for that. And, and yeah, we, yeah, we just yeah. yeah yeah thank you. Well, 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 what a wonderful story. Yeah. Any other questions before my final question for the night? For like an auctioneer here, going once, okay. twice. Um, so the final question which we've asked all um, our speakers is, obviously you've spoken about Jesus and you've spoken about communion, prayer and so forth, but do you have like a, a rule of life? Do you have a, a way of spending time with Jesus on a daily basis? Is it the same? Does it change? Um, and yeah, well, what sustains you, therefore? Well, I mean, I, yeah, it's different. I mean, it's probably been different at different moments. Like, I mean, what do I do? I, I sit, um, I, I'm really, really blessed in the house where we live. Um, we, we've got a little garden. My wife is the, is the gardener, and she's created a garden from literally nothing. Um, and then I have a chair, and I sit in that chair, which looks out over the garden. And um, I do that every morning, um, depends, sort of seven o'clock-ish. Um, and what I do, um, everybody does something different, um, I pray the Church of England morning prayer, um, because that kind of links me with all sorts of people all, all around the country, not all around the world, you know, we're all sort of trying to work out, you know, what what nurse Joseph up to today, you know, because everyone's reading the story of Joseph. So, so I do that, and I do that, you know, what does that take, 20 minutes? Um, and then I... I am with God, with Jesus, for 20 to 30 minutes. Sometimes I will have a book or be following something... Um, which sort of leads me into that, or it may be something has come up in one of uh, the, the Bible things. Um, and within that, there will often be time for, um, for praying for other people. I think that's, that's really, that was really important in lockdown because I, I've been doing some stuff with a, um, a sort of homeless drop-in. And that all stopped. Um, and so, and the lovely thing was, I just got, I'd actually made myself over the months a sort of list of all these, they're nearly all guys. Um, and it was just lovely to, to pray for them each day. So that's, that's good. I mean, the other thing I try to do, and I really don't do this properly, um, have, you, have you talked about Ignatius's examen with yeah. them? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So um, you, you know a bit about the examen, the sort of, asking Jesus to just help you look back over the day. Um, the problem is if you leave it too late, when you get into bed, you fall asleep, so it's not very clever. Um, so I, I tend to do a rather sort of speedy examen. 
um, when I'm cleaning my teeth and things. Um, but that's just, and, and I think, and it sounds like Dan's talked to you about that, and the lovely thing about the examen, I think, is that when you do it, actually as the day goes through, you just notice the things that bring you joy, or all the things where you think, oh, yeah, quite didn't quite get that right. Conversation with God about that because that wasn't very clever. Um, but um, I, I've been greatly influenced by this guy called St. Ignatius Loyola. And, and Ignatius, one thing Ignatius wants us to learn about is, is, is the ability to see God in everything. And, and I think that, you know, and I suppose that's, that's what I want to sort of get inside myself this ability. To, to see God in everything, in the people I see out, you know, the obvious things like you know, the sun and the new months and, and everything else, but also just sort of, I don't know, you know, just just other things. Um, yeah, I'd better stop yeah, there. No, I could no, go no, on forever. That's fine. That's, yeah. um, um, I, was, I was saying this, I do the examen um, most nights, uh, but I do it when I, for a walk, and uh, I said to yeah. because I, I walk past Bishop Mark's house. Uh, Bishop Mark Rowe at uh, um, about 11 o'clock at night and I said look I'm not stalking you but it's just part of my routine and uh, and I think I think having that um, I think I mentioned to you before there's an app called uh, Lectio 365 and in that they each day they do a, a five or six minute sort of night prayer examine where they, they think of reflect uh, rejoice about where you've met God re repent where you've may have done something wrong and then like reset or reboot um, for, for the night's sleep but I think I just, just especially in this very busy world it's such a, a powerful thing and I, I like also Bishop um, you mentioning about uh, cleaning your teeth you know while you're you do the, the exam or night prayer and I think that there's a sort of Brother Lawrence you may have heard of which talks about practicing God in everyday activities and I think that that's wonderful but um, Bishop Mark just before we give you a round of applause I just want to say thank you so much for being our, our final speaker in this series um, it's been a real honour to have you here and, uh, um, and hopefully you'll come back again um, um, sometime and, uh, and, and encourage us again but can we give um, Bishop Mark a big round of applause <laughs>that was really good thank you bishop mark let's say together in conclusion the grace the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all and forevermore amen